1: Will, how are you, dude? It's Matt Stocks. Uh, hey, Matt. how you doing, dude? I'm not too bad at all. It's uh, I'm a little hungover today because I had a, kind of a, a few drinks last night on, on the eve of this uh, of this record coming out. <laughs>
0: well, I just spoke to my my good friend, our mutual friend Jack Hutchcraft, because I'm back in London and I was see- oh yes I was seeing if he was around to hang out, and he's like, "Oh, I'm just on a train coming back from Manchester. I've been having a release party with the Creeper guys." He said you had a good time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was one of those nights that it never end. you know? Um, <laughs> I know them all so, too
0: well, especially during lockdown. Like, it seems like because there's no last orders or closing time, the night spills over into the next and day. That,
1: that's exactly <laughs> it. There's, there's no rules anymore, is there? And it's the thing where, and with Jack, you know, you go out with Jack, and this is just what sort of mischief happens, unfortunately. And uh, so it was good fun. It's just uh, one of those days where it's all been a lot. And obviously, because it's the lease day, my phone began ringing super early for my manager for
0: <laughs> I'll bet, <yeah. laughs>
1: was not up to it <laughs>
0: yeah, well thanks for giving up your time today I would have thought you would have been celebrating tonight but I presume you probably are celebrating tonight as well
1: well this is going to be it I, I think my um, <laughs> our friend is back in town tonight so I don't know if I can do it again though. I'm getting a bit too old to do two in a row you know <laughs> like uh, the really heavy one I could drink consistently across a week but like yeah. a the, the big binge drinking nights they get a bit too much for me these days well
0: yeah. I find as well that you know you get into like almost almost three day hangovers at this stage in life as well and then you're wasting half the week just kind of you know hovering up in a ball going why why did I do it to I myself? know
1: exactly you're, you're trying, to, trying to recover that's the main thing isn't it I have to take um, paracetamol before I go to sleep now that's the, the trick I've learned um, even if I haven't got the headache now because I know it's going to come in the night you know
0: well, you get ahead of the curve well,
1: Exactly. Yeah. I'm trying, trying to jump ahead of myself. Um, they, that, that's a special move. that's my two special moves: pineapple water before bed, and uh, and some paracetamol, even if you haven't got a headache. Well, you, you, you
0: sound surprisingly chipper, I must say. When I spoke to Jack, I was expecting a
1: hello. <laughs>
0: you sound bang on it, mate. And we've got a lot to talk about. And you've you know you've had a lot to celebrate. So fair play to you; it's much deserved.
1: Well, thanks very much, man. It's uh, it's been a weird uh, a weird couple of years. All kind of culminated in this, um, the release of this album, uh, yeah, yesterday, <laughs> or this morning, this morning. Yeah, but.
0: today as we talk, uh, I mean, I wonder if we could backtrack, you've probably been asked about it a bit, so apologies if we're going over well-tread and ground, or trodden ground, but um, you know, the kind of the Coco show that you guys do, where you put to bed Creeper, then and there, at that point in time, did you know leading up to that show that that was going to be a significant show in advance?
1: well yeah the, the, the thing about that show is, um it's, it's kind of it's kind of um become something like a, it's kind of embedded in the creeper law now that that show, because it's such an important it ended up being far more significant than we we'd realized because that was the last not only, like it, it was all theater of course uh yeah we we I, I planned it for for you know a couple of years in advance um the uh uh the, but at the end of the campaign, doing this still this on stage, it's just eight, kind of aping the um, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars break up at uh, the Hammersmith back in the 70s, you know, where he split the band up on stage.
0: Of course. So um, you knew going into that gig that was going to be one of those moments where it was going to be a full stop on that era of the band. That was something you were all conscious of and actively going for.
1: Yeah. But it's weird, though. Like, uh, it's as so often with these things, Creeper, often the. the, the, the Creeper's not like a, a band really. It's like uh, I can't I can't really explain it to you another way. It's a, it's kind of like a it's like performance art a lot of it is. Uh the I music is obviously yeah. a big part of that, but like uh, I think people can if you compare us to other bands, um we seem ludicrous. It seems silly <laughs> because we don't we're not just we're not just six people in a room bashing songs out and then walking on the stage and playing the songs. It's, uh, it's all this other silliness that comes along with it. But where we what we try and do is try and try and kind of uh, Meld the the fiction and reality together to create this kind of almost like what professional wrestling is. Um, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. what's real and what's fake is all kind of drift together. Well, it's a but self-contained. Found...
0: It's a self-contained universe, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's um these things exist in their own place, you know. And it's uh, it's uh, it's about performing because when when you get these things right, like when when it's done right, we don't, we don't always get there, but when we when we do it right, it it presents like a really um like a three dimensional place that our listeners can go and escape to. So if they go to a show, they, go, they know they're going to see something larger than life where they can dress however they want, be whoever they want to be. And uh, if they're having a hard time um, at, at you know, with work or at school, you put these, one of these records on, on your way home. And the idea is that you can kind of disappear into that world for a while. So it's really important to us to constantly maintain and protect this, uh, the, this, this universe that we create. So that show... Um, There was obviously this fictional element of it. There was an element of um, kind of a a theatre to the whole thing. But it it, it was the killing of the old band, of course. We're never going to wear those jackets again. It's never going to be the the, the end of that era. It had come and gone there. But the week after that, the reality has so often happened to these things. Um, Like kind of life begins imitating art, and our band almost really did break up uh, just after that because within that week. I had a, um, a death in my family uh, on the Sunday and on the Monday. Um, Ian Miles was sectioned um, with the art of his, I guess it's quite widely publicized now. Um, he had a, a major psychotic episode in, in Southampton and he had to uh, be taken away. And um, then it, I, I began this kind of process of trying to keep things together and going out to Los Angeles on my own for months and months. So we ended this really, really big period of darkness, all while we were on a social media blackout, which was self-imposed but we didn't want to break the illusion of what was going on to tell everybody that this we might have to, you know, that we didn't want to tell everybody what was going on because we try and to protect what we what we do for people, this this universe. We didn't want anyone to tamper with that. We didn't want reality to mess up our vision, you know. Um, so, yeah, we ended up in a very, very, very dark place um, for, for quite some time. And so it's, it's funny. Um, that show, yes, it was uh, definitely pre-planned. It definitely was uh, a big piece of, of a performance art. But at the same time, it had. Uh, it really was the last time our band, until now, um, it, it was the last time our band was actually functioning and, and, and working. It really was the death in, in a way, um, and this rebirth has been much more of a real life rebirth rather than a, a press angle. You know, it's not like you know. Sometimes you see that stuff, and it's like, of course, yeah. uh, you, you know, they the the back from the dead, but this is kind of quite literally <laughs> almost that. Um, very, very strange time. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a bit of both, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I know it's a day of celebration and I don't want to go anywhere where, you know, you're uncomfortable going. I don't want to bum you out on your release day either. But you, you mentioned the death and the family there. I was reading that was your mum's partner, right? And then the yeah, next yeah. the next day, literally the next day, was when Ian had to go off and, you know, take care of himself and do what he needed to do to, to get right. I mean, how when you're on this come down from the project and this era of the band anyway, because I know that things like that come with this great come down, like the lows are low, aren't they? After those ultimate highs, you do come crashing down. To then have those two things as well. I mean, how did you personally deal with it? How did you navigate those really difficult days, if you don't mind getting into it?
1: No, I think the thing is about this stuff, we've decided that we were going to talk about um, the mental health stuff. Ian wanted to talk about it and... um, I think it's important we talk about hardships because I think sometimes uh, you know the lifestyle of a musician is glamorized to some extent and people don't really know fully what goes on. Um, but, uh, but yes, uh, the problem is with, with, with me is uh, I'm always really focused on what we're doing next every single time. I have to, so I'm constantly thinking about what we're putting out and, and, and plotting ahead. That's that's how like that show happened, Um because it, we had two years in advance to to, to get to that point. You know, so it's like a workout steps that we need to to get to a point where um, we could do the, that gig, which it involves a lot of planning. So when something like this happens, it, it like, like, and I had to carry on. I would not have a chance really to um to grieve, to reflect yeah. or anything. I was just, I just like I, I we had to go. Like, I was supposed to fly with Ian Miles on the Friday um, to Los Angeles, and um, we on the Sunday that horrible thing happened to my mum, and on the, the Monday uh, the horrible thing happened to Ian. And Ian was kind of stripped from me, um, taken like he was taken away uh, in a very dramatic fashion um, in the centre of Southampton. Um, after uh, there's that podcast online at the moment. That kind of he goes into quite some depth on it, and I won't really tell his story for him. But if you if you're ever interested, uh, like he does a uh, it's called Sex Death, and the Infinite Void. Uh, uh the, the, the the story the story of Sex Death and the Infinite Void, that's what it's called. Um Is that by, a, is that a podcast
0: yeah. that you guys have put out yourselves or was it a guest? was he a guest on someone else's what was that so people can No,
1: this it. no this is a really it's actually really interesting this. Uh so um so my friend Giles do you know Giles? You might know Giles. I don't um, he's know. In, in Great Cynics, if, if you know that band. Right. Um, I've known him just from punk rock since I was a kid, you know. Shows, all our old bands and things. Um he had me on this, this podcast, uh, 101 Part-Time Jobs, which is a podcast where he talks about what you did, what, what, what some musicians currently do for a living to support their music or, and what people who, you know, what he was asking me about jobs I did when I was a kid, when I first started touring and stuff. And, and it was really fun just kind of uh, just telling him some weird old stories. And then midway through, the asked a little bit about the Creeper record, I guess to try and plug it a little bit in the podcast. And I told him a very brief overview. And um, and he called me. Um, he called me just a tiny bit later, he, uh, and he said, "Will, um, do you, how do you feel about me making an audio, um, an audio documentary about about this?" And well, I really didn't want to tell him the story because there was so much that's gone on during the course of this record um, that it felt really un- unnerving. But we kind of he, he chased it and chased it. He was very persistent with it, and um, in the end, he. Uh, um, like, like we started letting him in do interviews and so it was, first of it was just going to be just with me and, took, I, and I felt like if it was just with me, I, I, I kind of had some control over it and I could protect everybody I needed to protect and um, we thought it was a good piece of content as well you know, at first, that's kind of what you're like, you're like well, this, this is cool, it'll be something people could learn a little bit about the record Yeah, um, of course, in, like in, a behind
0: the scenes making of featurette yeah. kind of thing.
1: Exactly, yeah so, so I thought like, you know, I probably wouldn't mention anything that had really happened, i just I tell as much as I wanted to tell, but Giles is a fantastic journalist and, and he knows us very well, and so he ended up putting us uh, at, at ease um, numerous numerous times, and he ended up um, basically uh, kind of doing like a Louis Theroux almost, where where yeah, he yeah. kind of you know you know he kind of um, put us at ease so much that we were more honest than we would ever have been, to the point where like he ended up getting interviews with um, Sandy Barry, our producer in, in Hollywood, um, our manager, our record label um uh loads loads of different people basically uh, really really involved who wouldn't normally do this sort of thing um but i think everyone trusted Giles so much and um ian agreed in the end to uh to speak about what happened to him in quite some some um, candid detail uh and that day of when he got sectioned and, and my involvement in that as well and um yeah so so it's it's over five parts it's it's called a creeper um, the story of Sex Death and the Infinite Void, and it's by Mighty Moon Media. But it was a, it's basically n- not produced by the band. But um, it's, it's a podcast about the band, and it, we we are interviewed in it. Um, but it, it's not like it's it, it's it's a lot more honest because it hasn't been made by a PR company, hasn't been made by a company, hasn't been made by a band. It's just a guy um, trying interviewing to get the truth, a lot of yeah? people. Yeah, a lot yeah. So it's sort of, so but you got it, come, it. Should come with a massive trigger warning. We put up when, when we've been promoting. We've been talking about having a massive trigger warning because there is some really, really difficult stuff in there um, about mental health. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that was what was going on. Um, in answer to your question, we're a kind of really long way around answering your question here. I'm hey sorry. dude, there's <laughs> no
0: need for short answers on this show. It's all good, man. We're just chatting. <laughs>
1: um, so yeah, um, what that, lent, what that when, when that happened to Ian, um, I had spoken to his wife a lot as he was taken away and I didn't know what to do. And in the end, and we basically, they got to the point where it was like, well, I, I felt like we should put everyone on hiatus. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but it basically would have meant that um, by the time he'd have, he would have come around, if, I'd, if we'd have waited for him to to, have to, um, gone right through recovery, could have been a year, and it probably would have been um, to, for, until his full recovery. And so um, by that time... You know, we'd have been three years away from where we when, when we when we lost you know, when, we, when we put the last record out, and we we still be starting this record. It was it would have basically lost everything, and then it yeah. and him being, him being taken away would have um, would have cost him, it, you know, would have cost him so much more than it already had. You know, it would have cost him his his um his band, his creativity, his livelihood, um, his you know all he's worked for. So I basically made a decision um, with his wife to um to go out to Los Angeles um on my own. Uh, I had to get the plane on my own. Uh, It was a seat next to me where he was supposed to be. It was really weird. It was horrible. And um, It's a a
0: beautiful thing that you made that choice because I know it must have been so hard going forward without him because I remember interviewing you guys years ago when Creeper was just getting started for Scuzz. And without taking anything away from the rest of the band, you two are very much kind of like the creative partners at the center of that world, aren't you? And he's your right hand man.
1: Yeah, well, that, this is kind of it. We kind of we started this band together. It, it was um, we've been playing in bands together for years before that as well. Um, we just he's it, just like you know for this sort of well, for what we do with this, like uh, he, we are uh, kind of um, a duo, you know, in, in our yeah. regards. And um,
0: and he's your brother it, in life.
1: Yeah, exactly. We've done everything together. You know, we travel the world together. I'm looking at a picture on my wall right now. Of me, Ian and Jerry only. Amazing. <laughs> <I missed> it. <laughs> it <was> really cool. <laughs> it's so funny, you know, when you're talking about something and you look up and it's just there. Um, but yes, it was really, really weird. I went. Um, my life was spiraling out of control as well. Um, I was going uh, going through all sorts of, of stuff in my personal life too. The breakdown of my relationship and things. And so all this was going on, and I became a real anxious mess. Uh, but we're just trying to keep going, keep creative, and but it's so hard to focus on this second follow-up to, uh, to a record um, like I said in your arms which we're very lucky with and people it was received so nicely and we managed to achieve quite a lot from it um, and a tour the world of, a uh,
0: lot of pressure right both from outside and on yourself
1: yeah it's just the thing and like you know I also am always at the forefront of my mind is my audience I, I don't really care about like um, how it's reviewed um, so much as have we done our job in in um providing the escape that we needed when we were kids that's why we found music have we done a good job doing that with our art for, for our audience so that's at the fun of my mind but like it was so difficult to create at first without ian without um with, with all this, this with kind of our whole lives on fire the hot entire time and uh not knowing when he was gonna get better he was i was calling him every day from the, from the hospital the priory he was in the priory in brighton and um I was calling him every day. He was there for a month, I think. Um, and, uh, I would call him and we would chat and he would, um, and he would tell me, uh, he, he like, like he would tell me he was still believing in, in in this, um, this conspiracy. He has spoken about it on, uh, on, uh, in press and print now as well. So I feel like I can talk about it a bit more, but it uh, is still very much believing this elaborate conspiracy, um, but I, I carried on a lot of guilt for a long, long time as well, because we I probably should have seen some of this stuff coming, but we were there was so much going on that um, we, we were writing together every day, yeah. and there were little, little weird, like, kind of eccentric things he would do, but it was, it, it, you know, it, it just didn't trick, and so I carried around an incredible amount of guilt. I had to call the police on my best friend, you know. They tried to dispatch, dispatch an anti-terror unit to... to, to, um, to to take him down basically it was a really really intense intense mad thing and i can't explain to you any more than that really i guess it's like hearing him talk about it at the podcast is probably the best way to, to to find out more about that but it's a yeah,
2: yeah. it was a really
1: insane thing so i was carrying around i was guilt about having to cool i get the cool people to take him away um and it was really really traumatic and then on the friday i'm going to los angeles on my own so then my drinking just, just spiraled and spiraled out of control um, which is something I have battled with in the past, but it was really, really bad. Both my parents were quite worried about me, and um, it was, uh, yeah, it like, it, but, but you know what? This, this, there was there came a moment when, um, in amongst all the chaos, this is kind of how we pieced together this, this this record. This is kind of how it all came. We wrote about fifty songs for this record, and you remember, like, the, 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 me and Ian have been going to Los Angeles uh, long before. Um, Working on this long before that November first show, we'd already we'd already been going out there a lot, um, meeting people, trying to work out what we we're going to do, where we where we take the sound to, what how, what, what sort of songs we'd write, and um, so yeah, we, we were working all that for quite some time already. Um, so when we when I came when I finally kind of uh, when things were at a real particularly dark place and you kind of felt like you had nothing left to lose, um, and you're like, well, you know what, if all always goes up in flames, just make sure today we write something cool that's really fun. And that kind of like, you know, that kind of uh, frivolous nature that you have at that sort of point, when it's really, really dark, that actually inspires some of the, the better moments, I think, on the record, um, which is a weird one, isn't it? <laughs> why is that? Um, and why is it so common? Uh, commonly the case that um, that darkness inspires the, the best art? Um, I don't know why that is, and it's probably quite unhealthy. <laughs> But it did in our case.
0: It's interesting, all these things you're saying to me, Will. I'm no stranger to like paranoid, manic, psychotic episodes because my mum's bipolar. So I grew up visiting her in psych wards as a common thing. And so that's been around that world and that kind of process of seeing someone that you love go to that place and seeing them did you i mean we did you get to see ian in hospital or were you in la for the whole duration but either or you're still talking on the phone and so i know exactly how difficult it is to communicate and engage and see somebody that you love in that place
1: it's so weird isn't it going into those places i, I didn't i had no idea about that About your mother like uh, that, uh, you know i'm sorry to hear that uh, it must have been difficult for you growing up um yeah it's, uh, it's certainly strange isn't it like a uh... I mean going into those places. Like I, I went to see him uh I went to see him before I went to Los Angeles the first time. Um yeah. that week. Um I went in on the Friday, I think. But those places are strange, aren't they? Like uh, I guess you have experience in that as well. You can you can um you can vouch for that, that they are odd places because you're meeting people um that sometimes seem completely um alert and in the room. Um and in yeah. the next moment we can be doing um can be in quite a different place. And uh, so I kind of, I was worried about him so much. But I think he ended up having quite a, quite, quite a strange experience there, quite a strange, strange time. It's, um, oh, it's difficult, man, isn't it? The whole thing is just, it's, just, it's hard. Um, and now I feel like it, we can kind of talk about it with some sort of hindsight now, um, which is cool. Um, but for, for a long time, I, I was FaceTiming him um to write songs with him or like like a while he, like his wife bought a guitar into his hospital room and he would uh he would sit there on the phone while believing all this this this, this conspiracy still but kinda of managed to kind of compartmentalize that part of his brain that, that part of his brain and uh and kind of switch that bit off for a second to pick up and help help write a chord or something over over FaceTime. And um while I was in Los Angeles and he was in Brighton in the Priory <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And uh, yeah, I I would call him every day. Um, He's starting to remember more of that stuff now, which is cool.
0: Yeah, my mum describes it as like kind of blackout episodes, like if you're drunk, like you're doing all this stuff and saying all this stuff, but then you don't necessarily remember it when you come down from that high and then over time you get flashbacks and you piece together the puzzle a little bit more. I mean, what a testament to not just Ian's creativity but to creativity as well and there does seem to be a weird link sometimes between creative minds and unstable minds and sometimes, as you were saying earlier, this great sometimes very dark but also profound art is often born in these you know whirlwinds of chaos and pain and and it's clearly fed into this record i mean are you going to be hey are there any songs on this album that are difficult for you to listen to because of the memories that come back from writing them or indeed just what they're about
1: it's just it's the last one really that's the hard the hard one
0: uh all my friends is that
1: all my friends, yeah. yeah. That was—I was a song I wrote for Ian. It was one of those songs that kind of just spills out of you. Um, sometimes you're writing because you're required to write songs. Like it sounds a lot more um, kind of mundane than that is. But just in a the sense of, oh, today we, we're writing some songs. That's yeah. Ian's come over with his guitar. We're gonna write some songs today. What will we write? You know, that that. It's, sometimes it's like that. Like anything sometimes can happen, putting... kind of thing. Yeah, you're kind of putting yourself in a, in a in a place where you know we're gonna write some songs. That's what the day. That's what today we put today aside for. Yeah. Monday's writing day. Or something you know like that. Sometimes it's like that in life. Other times, songs just need to get out of you. They just there just inside of you, and they just need to come out. And all my friends is just one of those songs. Um, I remember. So I used to drink whiskey. I was really, really, really bad at drinking straight spirits uh, at the time. And uh, it's really, I hate how um how tacky that is that it's whiskey as well of all things I'm Hollywood drinking whiskey that's a complete uh, cliche Um, (laughs) (laughs) but but it's too but you're there
0: partly for that right you want to make a rock and roll record you want to for better or worse absorb and immerse yourself in that dare I say it it, romanticism
1: but you want that, that silliness, don't you? That, that, the thing with Creeper as well, there's like a, like a pomp and an over the top nature to it. So, like, yeah. if you go into Hollywood to make a record, it seemed, it seemed like it almost was like a joke to us because we were like, of course, Creeper. But that, like, if we were fans of Creeper, of co- we, it would make sense to us. Of course, Creeper would make a record in Hollywood next. That would be the na- next logical progression, you know? Like, that, that's the, the silly thing that they would do. So, uh, so, we're trying to play on that a little bit. But so well, one night I was up at, in, in the studio, and it's at a wonderful place called, uh, called Wax um wax studios um up on sunset um it is uh they used to, used to have Timmy hendrix there the doors recorded records there it's just a wonderful um little studio the a studio, a studio a and a studio b all red lights everywhere all the time and we would i would stay there till late i'd start drinking early and stay there late um is it just you and so the one producer day, it, was, it was me um hannah was there to yeah. for some, for some of it um and uh redder his assistant and uh yeah and Sandy and, and myself so we would finish writing or, or, or recording something and, and i then i would while he would be like sorting it all out and popping all you know mixing and doing bits uh i hate all that stuff this is not who i am <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: you want to lay it uh, down and then get out <laughs>
1: yeah i i i say this all the time just, that's not my Song suit. I'm not in. I'm not. I didn't get into music for science. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. But I, I, understand the what the the importance of that science. I, just, it, I, my brain just doesn't work like that. I just, it, it's just so difficult for me to stay interested. Um, yeah, so I, I, always you, have to, I always just, I always stuck out at that point. So what I, always, I would do is I would sit in the live room while he would mix in the control room, and there's a, a lovely upright piano there, and I would just sit there and play that. And it's one day, by the time we got to that sort of hour, I was always drunk, but this one day I was super, super drunk and um just been drinking this whiskey straight uh all day. It was like a bottle a day though, it was mental. It was so stupid. What kind anyway, of whiskey so was, were you drinking? I drink scotch.
0: Okay. Yeah um, yeah.
1: So, so yeah, it's uh so yeah it it was weird. I, I would sit there and, and drink that and uh and just kind of play at this piano and this song I would just I would just write things I write things all the time, you know, but not, most of the time it's for nothing. Um you know, unless it's like, uh, it listen, like we said before, we're doing the writing day. Um, so this one, this one fell out of me as I was doing it, and Zandy uh, came in and said, "Oh man, that, that's a that's a really lovely song." And I was like, "Oh, it's, it, I can I don't want to use that. I don't want to use it." I was drunk as well, and he was like, oh, "Would you just just record it? Like, I'll, I'll set a mic up and just record a little scratch of it." I was like, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know." So go on, go on. So, so we did it. And the next day Hannah heard it, and then it ended up being that thing that like, I was just writing like a real, really honest thing with my friends. And often it's, it's easier for me to write in uh, in lyric and melody and, 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 and uh, then to sit down and talk to somebody about it, you know? Like, uh, uh, this song kind of fell out, spilled out of me um, this one evening. And um, they all, I didn't want to put it on. I felt like it was too real. I didn't think it, 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 it didn't fit in one narrative at all. Or anything, um, anything else on the record. Uh, And I felt like we were giving people too much of a dose of what actually had happened. But everybody persuaded me in the end, including Ian. Um, So it's difficult for both of us to listen to that. I often compare it to, this has been my favorite comparison to it. Um, It's a really weird one as well, so stay with me here. I'm with Um, you. So uh, are you familiar with uh, the theme park Universal Studios in Hollywood, California?
0: I've never been. No, I've been to Hollywood many times, but never the studio theme park.
1: Okay, so it's so there was this ride there, um right. that uh was this it, is a Jurassic Park ride, it's a log flume. Uhhuh. And um what it is is uh it, it was made by Steven Spielberg, uh, himself. He like he, he helped make the ride. Um so uh, like like they actually they actually um had the idea for the ride before they had to put the film out. Um and it cost more than the film to make. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's true. Really? It's, it's, it's madness, isn't it? So anyway, like this log flume, it, it uh it goes around, and there's all these different dinosaurs. You go through Jurassic Park, and then things go wrong, and you get knocked off course, and you go up a hill into the building, and at the end, a big T-Rex pops out, and it's an animatronic T-Rex, and you go towards him, and then just before you reach him, you drop down, and you get down shoot, and you splash at the bottom, and that's kind of how it works. So, um, Steven Spielberg helped make this thing, and to this day, when he rides that ride, he get, he, he sits on on the log, the boat and goes round and around and around, around. And it gets up, it goes up the hill and gets up to the T Rex. And when the T Rex pops out, he has to stop the ride and he gets off because he can't take the final drop. And um, he, he, he is too scared. He goes down the stairs instead of takes, taking the drop, um, the, 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 the splashdown. And I feel like that with this record, uh, which is a really weird analogy. But uh, I've built this thing, I care about it a lot, I put a lot of my life into it, and I, I love it very, very dearly. Um, but I just have to get off before the final drop. That last drop is just too scary for me. Um, even though I know it's coming, even though I put it there, um, I I can't, I can't. I still can't do it. I still have to turn it off before we get to that point.
0: Will you play? It, will you play it live?
1: We we spoke about this the other day. I'm really not sure how we're going to. But we, I guess we're going to have to at some point. But um, it's going to be a really difficult one for us. That 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 one in particular.
0: How was the experience of being out in L.A. on your own? Because I know L.A. very well, and I'm lucky to have a lot of friends who live there. So I've always been shown around and taken in. But I'm also aware that L.A., a lot like London, but way more so, can be a super lonely place for like, especially an Englishman who's going through what you were going through and you know there's the pressure on to create this follow up and it should have been this amazing magical experience and yet you're there alone like how was that period for you on a personal level just when you're not in the studio what, what was going through your mind
1: well it, it was super bizarre um, like, I lo- I, like I I like I had really in, in insane experiences in Los Angeles I went to the Magic Castle yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, I've, uh, I ended up at people's mansions just randomly um, like on, on, on nights out ended up in weird after hours kind of fetish clubs downtown and warehouses I ended up at lots of strange situations in that city because people have a really skewed version of what Hollywood is Um, when people first come out most of the time you visit as a tourist and I went the first time I went it was as a tourist and um and when you first go there, most people go. Oh, I went to Los- I went to Hollywood, and it was just really dirty. It wasn't what I expected at all. I didn't like it. it Was you know? Yeah, wasn't every, what I, everybody what has that be.
0: disappointment, don't they? Because their expectations are like that. It's going to be all glitz and glamour, and actually, downtown Hollywood is pretty grimy.
1: Yeah, and, and it's the thing. But like, I love all that sort of thing. So yeah, i man. I've always been. I've always been the case of I like. This is exactly what I wanted. Um, I wouldn't expect anything else. You know, you don't go to Big Ben and expect to meet Queen, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just like, you know, I'm not expecting to meet movie stars outside the Chinese theatre, you know, that's not, uh, but even though you, you can do it if you go to a premiere there, I, I walked past many, um, yeah. many premieres, which was, that was just funny and weird. Did you go but, to um, the frolic
0: room, Well, That's my favourite spot.
1: No, I didn't go to the frolic room. I, it's like I a proper to... old
0: dive bar, like where Bukowski used to drink, just a thin, long, narrow room, happy hours, like $2 a beer. And it's just one of those like old Hollywood places that just feels like it's stuck, you know, in, in this time capsule. And it hasn't been updated by the outside world. It's amazing. But all those kind of like old, and there isn't many with every cities, everything gets gentrified and updated. But places like that for me in Hollywood still have that,
1: oh, yeah, magic, that magic about them. Yeah. Uh, well, I went to Muso and Frank's. I was going to say, of
0: course, yeah, that old, the that's the oldest, oldest restaurant. restaurant. Yeah, I've eaten there. Loved yeah, it. and
1: well, Orson Wells, obviously famously used to eat there and drink there. Um, it was uh, it's a weird place because um, I was I'm a vegan and so uh, <laughs> a vegan at a steakhouse basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I so I had an avocado and
2: chips.
0: I <laughs> I'll but, just um, have the I bread option, pizza. no butter. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is this. It's, well, it, that's what it used to be like being vegan over here for years. Um, yeah, yeah. But Things are lot different now, but um, it's just funny. Those older spots, the traditional spots like that, they are. Um, you know, it's it's things are a little bit old fashioned. It's kind of nice in a weird way. Um, got some lovely drinks there. Uh, but yes, like I, I used to go to all different places. Obviously, I, I I spend nights at the whiskey and the rainbow and all those places that uh, you have to go to because. <laughs> You in Hollywood? Yeah. Were
0: you in a, a happy spot, or were you just in a strange, dark, dream-like spot? What was going it, on?
1: It, it, it was just weird. Like I was, I, I was running away from my problems at home, um, and I was drinking to to, to escape. And um, I was making a record about escapism while I was escaping in the most fantastical place. You know, if you want to find trouble in Los Angeles, or you if you want to find, uh, you know uh the infinite void um you can find it 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 exists around everywhere and it's funny because it's just below the surface of of, um of of, um hollywood there is um just below in the waters below lying beneath there's a a real sinister edge yes and a, a, a a real kind of vacuum um and you don't see it the first few times you go there you might think it's dirty but you don't really notice the true um that true spot but what I came to realise I used to go to a lot of um, a lot of golf clubs and things when I was up there as, as well. I used to go to drink at a lot of different cool bars. We used to go to um no vacancy if you've ever been there. Um nice. I used to drink a lot I used to drink in lots of places. Um but what, what I realized at one point I was like what what was strange at first was I. Did, did everyone there is an actor or a musician or you know kind of or a, or a failed actor, or a failed musician, yeah, a or uh, somebody trying to pitch, a t- trying to yeah exactly trying to pitch a um a TV show in a, in a cab to you. They realize they, they realize they're driving you to a recording studio and then they realize they're asking you out. Who else you know and, and you know, um and so that, that that's and then you end up these weird parties where everyone's kind of just fucking each other's dicks and things. And it's yeah. horrible. I hate all that. I hate all that stuff. But like, what I realized the people I really really loved were. I realized that none of them, very few of them, were actually from Hollywood. They just ended up at Hollywood. Mm -hmm. These people, like, people wash up in the place like Hollywood and and, and land there because they chased a dream or they're a little bit weird and different to the people from the state they were from. And they wanted to go do something else. They saw an opportunity. So there's a weird hopefulness amongst the kind of um,
0: desperation and broken dreams.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the the, the weirdos. and, And when I realized, holy shit. I'm also one of these guys. <laughs> I fit in here better than I fit in at home. Like this is this is why I love this so much because all, I, all my friends I've made here, I'm exactly the same as them. Like we're all here for exactly the same reasons. Not not because we're necessarily chasing a dream, but because we didn't fit in anywhere else. And so it's no it's, it's no accident that we've all ended up here talking and so my, my experience went from a very very dark place it was definitely an extremely dark times for me in Hollywood but by the end of it uh, much like in the story of our record the redemption story at the end of it of uh, the narrative um I kind of uh, when I left I remember everybody coming out with me for my last night in, in Hollywood and it being this massive blowout and um people just didn't want me to leave and it was so nice I had this lovely cool group of friends I'd, I'd kind of um I kind of made over this time and I loved it and I loved them and um I just realized but I kind of I kind of fit in there. I fit in there definitely better than I did back at home. <laughs> and it was uh, they really helped me to, to escape from my problems for a little while as well. So yeah, it was a really strange experience.
0: It gets a bad rep, but I love Los Angeles. I've been treated like absolute gold every time I've been there. And every time I've been there, like you, by the end of the trip, I just think... I wish this wasn't over. I wish I could stay. I feel a lot more at place here. If only I could stay like people there, although there's sometimes a motive and you know, that's just the way of the world sometimes. But for the large part, everybody that I've encountered and connected with over there has been genuine in their affection and in their warmth and hospitality and generosity. And I've just had such amazing experiences over there. And it's just, as you say, full of unpredictable, wild wonder. If you want that
1: yeah i think that's i completely agree with you there I think that's completely true i think it uh i think you have to know what you're getting yourself in, in for. You can go to the chinese theater and, and go see the Hollywood sign and then you know go go uh go to a theme park and go home there is definitely uh that, that's a really nice thing to do there It's really, really fun I love theme parks it's one of my favorite things in the world and I love all those things that have listed like the david Bowie's star is just around the corner from the chinese theater it was like it was really cool for me um but if you're looking for something else, I almost guarantee that Hollywood can give that to you. Um, there'll be somebody at whatever hour, um, <laughs> even though the bar's closed at 2am. It's weird, isn't it? The whole, shit, the whole
0: city just goes on lockdown around one, two. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, where to next? And then that's where you I, end up at these weird houses in the hills. And
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It, 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 like, it's funny. Just, uh, there's, um, that, that Grand Theft daughter game that's based around, uh, Los Angeles. And, um, it's it's funny how like i remember um seeing that game after i had been spending my time there and i was like this is literally like where i was hanging out like but like did they build this in the video game and like going up to the hills it's really funny like you end up the, 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 it's funny the um the class divide between the super ultra wealthy there and people living on the streets they have a massive homeless problem obviously in, in hollywood they have for years now it's really really bad um uh, it's just horrible, it's heartbreaking every time you walk by. Um but that 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 is a mad thing in itself. You know, there's such there's such a mixture of things going on everywhere and it it's kind of the disparity between people. Um oh God, it's it's a fascinating place. Like am I'm, I'm really looking forward to so returning as uh, a, a non work capacity and <laughs> a non ultra stress capacity as well. I feel um, you. I've written a book really during nice lockdown,
0: which is being put out by an LA based publishing company. And my hope, my dream was to go out there uh, when the book comes out in September and have a release party in the Viper Room. But obviously, with oh, you know, COVID, spot, and... Viper Room's so good. My friend Jeff books all the bands there, and I've always kind of gone there as my first port of call whenever I land. And, yeah, I was like, I'll do a fucking book launch in a rock club, do things a bit differently. But obviously for now, uh, you know, my feet are going to be firmly grounded in the UK. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of more things, Will, because I want to let you get off soon and, you know, enjoy the rest of your day and stuff and celebrate without me grilling you. But (laughs) what I wanted to ask is, you know, you've obviously kind of taken a lot of time away from the public eye by today's standards. Back in the day, this would have been normal. But nowadays, you know, you need to be omnipresent all the time, seem to be doing stuff to kind of hold people's attention because of the nature of world, the world that we're supposedly in. But you've obviously shown that you can go away and retire and come back and reinvent and stuff. But what were the record label side of the the creeper camp saying and how were they reacting whilst your, you know, crazy ideas to kill off the band, have a media blackout, do all of that? What was their response to all of that? Were they supportive? Were they confused? Were they discouraging? Were they encouraging?
1: God, god bless them they're a very supportive bunch um, they, they really are um, but uh, like every time I dump something on them it takes them a little minute to, uh, <laughs> to kind of get with it because I think the thing is I, I think this is why I like working with them so much as well because th- eventually they get really really excited and th- they tell me that a lot of the time when they're signing people um, they just they just come they they're, they're just arrive the bands just get signed and then they expect the record label to do everything for them and market them and do all this type of stuff and I think they like working with us because we don't want to do any that. I don't want to do any of that, don't, I don't any of that stuff. <laughs> in yeah. fact, I want to do all of it because I've done it. Like I did it in my old band, um, and I'm you know DIY punk like my uh, my whole life before that. So yeah, I want to make it myself. And um, so so yeah, like but they do they do freak out. I remember telling them about killing the band off, and them all being very um, concerned about that. I went to several different meetings where we spoke about the wording of what I would say on stage. Um, and in the end, I said, "Oh, you know, David Bowie did this. Um, he was on parlophone when he did it, I believe. And uh, yeah. that 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 the office for that is downstairs. <laughs> so Amazing. that happened in, in in this building. Come on, like if you did this back in the seventies, uh, you know, with a much more prolific act and a bigger bigger uh, bigger outfit at the time, um, you could let me do it with with our band. And um, so they agreed to let me do the... I, the, the we, we agreed on it together. So I was I could do it, but only if I um." used a very similar quote uh to the bowie thing so there could be some speculation around it so that's what we went for but like all these things are are a nightmare to pull off they're all just it's, it's never like um it, it, i remember with the first time we went missing they were like i like I, when we were doing this thing going into the album um the, the last one i remember that yeah god i remember that. I, yeah it was it was in reference to uh, the blair witch project the whole thing um <laughs> but if you if you've ever been um interested in the way the uh that that was marketed. It's fascinating. That film was yeah. a genius
0: pre-social uh, media. The marketing of that movie was groundbreaking. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it was viral before viral was a thing. Yeah. It was uh, really really fascinating. So we so we based a lot of um, our marketing ideas for that record around the marketing of that film. So, um, but we, like I was like, well, look, what we need to do is to uh, delete all the band social media. Uh, like people won't believe we've gone missing. Uh, unless we uh unless we delete all of the posts. They will have to go. They will have to go. And I remember them going, Oh, we've spent we've spent like three years building all this stuff up, guys. Like all the stats, all the, the likes and the photos, anything a booking agent would see about a tour poster who you tour with in the past. And I was like, No, 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 we have to look at it, up. we have to delete it. No one's gonna believe it if we don't delete it And they're like, Ah, yeah, And the thing about it is, why don't we, we deactivate them for a while? I was like, no, no, no they all have to be deleted. Let's delete it. <laughs> it's all or nothing. So, yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like I feel like often in, in in life with these things with creative stuff, is the little things that make the big things happen. Yeah, man. And you don't believe the whole piece if there is a small piece out of place. So you have to. So I, so in in the end, what I just did is I just went through Instagram and deleted every single picture myself by hand. Oh. <laughs> and, um, so so it had to be done all this all the Facebook stuff. So it was a proper wipe so people had to um, activate and it, like and had to look into it. Um, and I, I want to, like, I remember the Daily Echo in Southampton where we were from, covered it like it was a real news story. <laughs> like, that we've gone missing. Um and the thing is I don't think they would have done that. If it was visibly a marketing um thing, people wouldn't have wouldn't have believed in it, you know? And the reason that people's suspension of disbelief was there was because it's half real, half fake. It's, it's professional wrestling, isn't it? Again, it's it's that uh it's what's real, what's fake, which which, which part is real. I, I know this is fake, but that bit looked real, you know. You know what I mean? And and yeah, so absolutely. that's a, that's a sleight of hand with all this stuff. So a lot of the time, when I'm coming to them with it, there are moments where it's like, oh,
0: what's uh, he going to come up with next? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, I'm already um, back on my bullshit with this stuff, <laughs> but uh, it is um, it, it's fun, and I think the the last show one was uh, that's not one of my favourite ones we've, things we've done. Um, I, me- I remember actually this tour we did um, in 2017. Where um, I, I was telling them what I wanted to do, which was a Southampton World Fair, like it's interrupted. Uh, uh, so, we, so I wanted to promote the tour like it was a World Fair, like, like a fictional World Fair from Southampton that was touring. around because all of our characters in the last record were myths we based around Southampton, like like a there was um, an, a a sleep demon and uh, you know gang, the callous heart gang, there was this this ghost, this ghost gang, all these kind of myths we embedded into Southampton. And so I wanted this uh, a Southampton theme that was kind of interrupted. So we, I, I, I remember putting this all together. We, we had this, this mask. Um, there was a kabuki in front of the mask. It was at the Rio de the stage. That had, had a print on it um, for a Southampton World's Fair. And I, we made a theme song for the World's Fair. Like, a, it, it was like kind of like the um, the Walt Disney kind of. Have um, you ever, you ever, uh, when he, he did the World Fair, the New York New York World Fair, and they had the Carousel of Progress, and so they had this. It's a great, bit, beautiful tomorrow, shining at the end of every day. You know. You, you know those kind of real upbeat 50s things. Yeah, so we yeah. had our own one uh, called Shaking Hands with the Stranger of Tomorrow. So we recorded and we played at the beginning. And then the show was interrupted and the kabuki drops. And there was this giant mask that uh, was like 20 foot. And it was made of steel. And it had um, lasers that came out of his eyes. And uh, I remember pitching that what I've just told you there. And he said, this is what we're going to do for the tour. And everyone's just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jaws to the floor Speechless Well, just, well It's cool Because they, they, they get well, And when they see it They're so excited When it happens And everyone is But I think At the beginning um, I mean We overspent on that tour Massively It was crazy To be honest with you. Uh, But it was really It was a spectacle And I think That's what we're missing So often And that's why We love bands in, in, Especially in this country like, we, love, we love bands Like Ghost and um, people who do things uh, a little bit more at the top with a pomp and a ridiculousness. Yeah. I mean, we, we we gave the world Black Sabbath for God's sake, you know. Uh, Iron Maiden, you know, like we're we're from um, you know, we're from a country of that loves the grandiose. Um, and uh, yeah, like uh, that's why we we have this fascination with America all the time because when they 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 when they start doing that stuff as well, it's so amazingly well. Um.
0: The grandiose yeah, and the cool. pomp is obviously there in spades and a big part of what you do. What I also love is I remember for me, so growing up pre-internet, you know, you'd get into bands and all you could find out about them was what was in the latest music magazine or, you know, what was in the liner notes to the albums. And a band that to this day remain one of my favourite has always been no Effects because every one of their albums, although it wasn't theatrical in any way, it was very comical. And they'd always make up just absurd stories and lies. So you'd never really know who the band was, who's in the band. And you couldn't just go online and look it up. And it always encouraged me more to try and find out more about this little universe of theirs and be inquisitive. And that mystery is what drives the interest and the passion. And I think so many bands now are just like, this is who we are. Here's our online profile. This is the music. It's all there. There's no secrets. There's nothing to hide. And, you know, I think people want that mystery. They want something to confuse them a little bit and provoke them. And do you know what I mean? And that's obviously what you guys are all about in every element of your presentation of the band.
1: I, I I I I think that is a really cool thing what you just said about the no effects. I think that's really, really true. I and I um the thing uh, um is Eric Nally from uh, Poxy Shazam if you know that band he dude I love that band
0: so much so that self titled album by them is one of the best albums of the last 15 years it's uh, amazing
1: honestly it's a tragedy that band's not the biggest band in the world Absolutely I know fantastic band um, but he is a, an amazing man he used to make uh, lies up about himself you know Bob Dylan used to do the same thing he used to tell the press that he, he was raising the circus <laughs> of course um, but yes uh, but th- th- I hate the way other bands do things these days I look at it and I, and I, I just I just think it sucks <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest with you. Yeah. I hate the way people people treat their bands these days. They say, um, uh, I think a lot of the time um, it it it's boring. It, it is uh, safe. I think there's yeah, it's safe, but they, and then they, they, you know people are standing up for causes, but it kind of just like i don't know it just doesn't seem very very sincere when they're, mm-hmm. they're talking some of are playing like you know i'm playing a character of, where, of an angel that's fallen from heaven and that falls in love with a girl and that's going to get shot at the end of our, our show and that's what i'm doing you know that's ridiculous because it is yeah but like i feel like these people other people other singers in bands play a character as well and I'm, I'm just telling you i'm playing a the character they don't tell you they're playing a character and they play the role of singer uh, you know yeah. <laughs> or like uh or and and so, they, so what they post has to be like, um, has to be the that fall in line with someone who's got a, a, a platform. So you just get the same. Everyone posts the same things over and over again. I always feel like in a sea of bands shouting at you to listen to their records. The best thing you can do is to shut up. You yeah. know? like And way, let the music like, do the saying. talking, right? Oh yeah. Like like well, this, this, I, I don't know. That's what the whole idea of those silences um, and and you know the whole idea of that uh, that Futures of Heaven show last last year was that like wouldn't it be cool if we took a year off and after our year off we put a show on sale that didn't say it was creeper anywhere and uh, and, and see if people were so stoked uh, even after a year of silence and in the time we've been gone it's, it's, you know people just been shouting about their records non-stop wouldn't it be cool that like if that worked out and it, and it, and it did I, I just I don't know I don't think we're doing anything groundbreaking I think we take a lot of cues from bands like AFI um, like uh, in terms of marketing like or when they did uh the size of an elaborate campaign with t- telephone numbers um, and uh, that, you'd, that you'd call and you'd bring through and you'd different, different bits and pieces and we've been some as i said blair, the blair Witch project was a big one for us um uh, and it, it we're, we're taking it to a lot of different places but like you said i just don't think that stuff exists that's why uh that's why it seems special to call when we do it because no one does it anymore it's uh, i don't know people just uh, do disappointing things on the internet. And it's not even disappointing as in, like, they've done bad things.
0: Yeah, just lame. boring
1: things. <laughs> yeah. You know who's really good at this? Um, I, I, there's a band called Static Dress. They've they, got they their shit dialed in. And they know exactly what they're doing. They're at the, in terms of their content, in terms of the way they roll things out and, and how it looks, the attention to detail. Um, what amazing. do you reckon
0: to twin, twi, twin Temple? I bet you're a fan of that, aren't you?
1: Yeah. I, I saw them play, actually. I saw them play here in Manchester. I saw them um, at the Death Institute.
0: They've got a re- um, really good aesthetic going on, haven't they? Oh,
1: it's, oh, it's amazing. You know, it, it ticks so many boxes for me because it's, uh, you know, it's doo-wop. It, it's, uh, I, I love Phil Specter, You know, I'm not not a man. He's an evil man. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of his work, I, like, I'm like. i a massive Phil Spector fan. So it's like that sound um, coupled with um, some sort of satanic temple, um, chic, you know, and it, and it just looks amazing. Um and they're just a fantastic band. I'd love to do some shows with them at some point. Um, we follow each other on the internet. That's so a tour that is
0: waiting to happen. Yeah, I think
1: we should do that. Like, uh, I, think, I think it'll be really, really good. I think, maybe maybe that'll be the next thing we do, something like that. We, yeah, I we follow each other on the internet and we've had a, a, some back and forth online, which is cool. Um, but it's just, it's just rad. It, they, they, again, it's that attention to detail, you know, and, and it's that larger-than-life thing that we miss so much, you know. Um, I remember going to gigs when I was younger and... Um, you couldn't believe the band was going to be on the stage soon. You know, it was like, Oh my God, I wonder what backstage is like, but yeah, the way yeah. social media, the way social media has ruined everything. Now, you know what backstage is like. It's a bunch of people sat around on their laptops. Yeah. <laughs> not,
0: not talking <laughs> it, to each other. checking yeah, Instagram. Uh, yeah.
1: There was there a singer doing um, a very, a, a very slow skit. To warm up uh, his legs to, to run around the stage and, and, and you know, sipping sipping a, a Dr. Vox tea as he warms his voice up slowly with the uh, Melissa Cross up That is that is exactly what the backstage room is like. And yeah, you know yeah. that now the whole the whole thing's been lifted. You know, but I don't know. I remember going to see Alkaline Trio when I was a kid, and uh, and it's been like holy shit! Like the band are going to be on the stage in a second. This is no, which which one are going to come on for? That. Getting excited about that stuff. I think we have um we have a duty to protect that for for, for younger people. I think it, we are, that that's a magic and, a, and a, there's a sorcery to that that um that we we're somehow losing and and that, I think that's quite sad. Um but bands at Twin Temple absolutely do that, you know? It's the thing. It's why ghosts are cool. Um it's, it's why it's, it's kinda of larger than life large characters. that's you know i keep talking about professional wrestling in, in this conversation i don't know why but I just, i'm desperate to get it in for some reason i don't know why but yeah, the undertaker that, that's why his character like lasted so long and, and had such a a fruitful career because people want to see spectacle people want to lose themselves not all the time you know but uh i, I get i get the need for, for for why grunge happened in the first place because we went a little bit too far the way we, me and you were talking yeah <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, maybe we yeah. maybe a, with hair metal and stuff, uh, and uh, Guns N' Roses and things, maybe, uh, I love Guns N' Roses, but like, uh, maybe, maybe at that, that the culture had gone a little bit too far that way and needed um, Kurt Cobain and stuff, you know? Um, but like, I do think that we were, we, have, uh, we have, we have we a gap right now, and it needs filling with something really, really magical. And um, yeah, we should, we, we should try and give that to people as best we can, I think. And that's what we're, we're trying to do all the time anyway.
0: Well, dude, you're succeeding in it, man. And again, to throw back to the uh, the first interview that we did a few years back, it was just before I think the, the debut album came out and I was saying to the director on Scurs, I was like, this tune... Reminds me so much of Meatloaf. And he was like, Meatloaf. He's like, You better not tell him that in the interview. I was like, What do you mean? I was like, Can you not hear that influence? And he was like, No, you're mad. And then I obviously mentioned it in the interview, and you and both of you, you and Ian's eyes lit up. And you were like, We love Jim Styman. We love Meatloaf. And so even then, I was like, These guys are different. They're doing something different. They're drawing from different areas. And what I love about this new album, to kind of like wrap it up and bring it home, is there's so much on there. You've mentioned Bowie a few times, and there's obviously a lot of 70s glam in there. There's, for me, a lot of like 80s era Bruce Springsteen and that kind of stuff. And then the more palatable end of Tom Waits. And then there's like, you know, obviously the Britpop stuff is massively there as well with the Manic Street Preachers and Suede. And you do all of these different things and you absorb all of these different sounds, but it's still under the umbrella of Creeper. And everything sounds like you guys, but just enriched with this vast array of, of incredible influences. And you've made just an amazing record, dude. And you should be very, very proud. The one song I'd like to end on, because I want to play out with it, um, Poisoned Heart. Tell me about that tune. That's my jam, I think.
1: Oh, man. Well, thank you, firstly, for saying all those lovely things. That's very sweet. And it's cool that you put those references out. It's, um, you know, you never know... Um, when you're doing something like this, it's such a it is such an eclectic mix of different stuff that's kind of like a hot pot, you know, like one of those <laughs> um, like those electric electric hot pots. You kind of throw all this stuff in and it's in it together, um, and it's cool when people notice that. Like that, so that that means a lot to me. Thanks, man. And uh, yeah, so in terms of Poison Heart, we wrote this song. Um, I was at the piano and Ian was on acoustic guitar, and uh, we were sat listening the live in in Los Angeles. This is was I mean, that, that one was written before Ian's... some um, Ian's mental health um, uh, situation, got was too bad, and um, yes, it, it, came, it came out, I, I was originally seeing it in the octave above, I wasn't doing the baritone yet, but right. I, I've been desperate to do the baritone for ages, I like, it's, that Chris, it's that is really, like style. Yeah, exactly, yeah, like, like uh, you know, it's, um, it, it, that, it was kind of the, uh, the, the, the Leonard Cohen a fan in me and Nick Cave and yeah, yeah. All, like, I, I just, just loved all that stuff growing up and uh so i was been to do it for ages but everyone it's funny now because like today um everyone's uh, everyone's being so lovely about the record but I remember for ages everyone going well this doesn't really sound like Creeper and I was like ah, you know but that's the whole point <laughs> yeah 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 we also so, um, we
0: say what sounds like Creeper not you do
1: you yeah, know what I mean yeah exactly um, but, but like it was cool in the end like, like they, lo- they love it this, this one is um uh, what, it's, it's Phoebe's favorite song. And then, if you know Phoebe Sinclair, yes, um, she dates. Uh, she was
0: well, say date. She's married to my dear friend Aria. So yeah, I was at their oh, wedding. Yeah, and exactly. I know Phoebe very well.
1: well. Yes, she's a wonderful, wonderful one. This it's her favorite one from the record She always. She's so funny. I love it a bit. Um, she's actually um, one of the people that have been, I think, the biggest aides in our career. She's been um a supporter and a believer of it the, the entire time. Um, oh, right so, yeah, Shout out Phoebe. She, Shout out Phoebe, 100%. Um, so the, this, this song, so I was singing at the octave above and we started tracking it and um, we got some, uh, kind of at the, at the time, it was a demo we first first did and it had like some vintage kind of drum sounds on it and things and acoustic guitar and, and piano and stuff. And, um, and I was singing at the octave above and so then what we did, I was like, oh, you know what, I think I can do a cool thing. And then I went in and I started singing in the, in the, in the, the baritone and um, we, we were all laughing at, at first. We were like, is this too far? Are we going too far? It's like a, <laughs> the sweet spot with Creepo. It's always... Where's the point. line? Yeah, just, yeah. Just before it goes silly. Like, like just before. you know, And you, you don't want it to be serious, because serious is dull, you know? But you want people to take the ridiculous seriously. <laughs> Does that make sense? Of you course. Know? You've got like, Foxy Shazam about, like-
0: as your kind of yardstick.
1: It's ridiculous, oh, but it's not comedy yeah well think about like and what's the last song on Bat hour of hell um to crying out loud you know <laughs> yeah. can't, can't you see my faded Levi's busting apart you know like this is a ridiculous lyrics like this is uh you know it's a ridiculous song um and it's over the top, but he sings it and he, he toes the line perfectly in that performance, or you feel so emotionally you feel moved by it there's strings on this ridiculously epic song um and that's that's the place you want to get to so I did this baritone. we were all laughing, and and and, and Daniel, like this, this is fucking great. You, we have to, we have to go this way. This is the way we're to go. And Ian was like, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. And so then, so I, I felt like carried on the chorus, um, in the same place I was singing it originally, but we just lowered, like, like I just lowered the the um, into the baritone. But it took, it took a while to learn that baritone too, you know, because it's a different <laughs> sort of a control you have to have, and uh, to to do it, it's a completely different way of singing, really, um. So it, it took me a little minute to kind of get, to dial it in uh, for the rest of the songs that we did with the baritone too. Um, but it's been funny. Um, so yeah, that one, that one's like a, a, a really, one of my favorite ones as well, because it's such a simple song. Yes. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, you know. Uh, yeah,
1: it's not, it's not, it's not musically
0: real- complex at all, but it just hits you in that sweet spot.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's more about the arrangement and the strings and things that, uh, like uh, that kind of aid it, I think, uh, yeah. rather than like the, the actual, the chords are playing, you know, as, as, typically is with lots of this stuff. But there's not even much of a bridge to the song, you know? There's not a vocal in the bridge, you know? Like, it, it, didn't, it didn't warrant it. And a lot of the time, I think, in, in my experience, um, and from my point of view, it's about serving the song and what goes into the song. Um, um, uh, yeah, to, to, to what goes into the song is, like, uh, the it, when, when is it acceptable for a drummer to do a drum solo? You know, like, like <laughs> yeah. do you want a drummer that is just constantly over drums the entire time? No, you don't. Sometimes you want someone to play a straight beat do you want a singer who, who has to sing over every single part of the song? No, you don't. Like, that's annoying as well. You know, like, uh, do you want a guitar player who's going to want to put solos everywhere, harmonize, every- you just don't. Like, you, I guess in, the way I like to approach songwriting is, is what best fits the song. And this song, it, it it just fit better for me not to sing on that bridge and just to leave it to a, to, to a piano. So the l- lyrically, it's quite sparse. There's like two verses and a chorus, and that's it. And um, but yeah, it's cool. I, like that's, that's I think. That's the magic. Sometimes you know, when it just and it's just right. You know, I don't know.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to figure out now. Is there a horn coming from your end or mine? That's my end. There's, this you know it's, it's you know it's Friday in Wolframstow in London when all the fucking horns start up. Eh, eh, eh. Um, well, on that rude note. I think they're stopping now. Um, Will, thank you, thank you so much for just a really, really great chat, man, and genuinely a a magic piece of work and a great album. And uh, it sounds like everything has gone into it—blood, sweat, heart, tears, the lot. I'm sure you've got plenty more tricks up your sleeve when it comes to the live presentation of all this stuff, too.
1: Yes, mate, a- absolutely. It's uh, like, honestly, man, I- I like hearing you talk about it and stuff as well—it's it- got me so stoked, man. I appreciate you. Uh... Putting out the things you have, and the live shows are going to absolutely be a spectacle as well. This is—I want it to—I want it to be a feeling of like when when the band comes through town, you can't miss it. I want it to be something special every single time. I don't want it just to to be just another band. It's it's, it's more. It's, it's not even really a band. <laughs> it's just a. I want it to be an experience you go to and something you can lose yourself in.
0: It's like the Bob Dylan Rolling Thunder Review, isn't it? It's a happening. It's an event. Every night's well, different. You don't know what you're going to get.
1: Exactly. Well, that that, that cool thing about this stuff um, and the thing is I think what we're trying to drill into people is especially with some of the some of the recent um, things we've, we did in the last few years the, uh, the breakup of the band there's that sense of finality um, you know like there, there, there's an, an, an absolute like if you don't come to this thing if you don't get to, to come to the show um, you'll never get to see it
0: yeah that's it I mean, you know? it only happens so, once it's in the moment yeah. if you're not there you miss the moment I get that completely and that's the
1: thing that's why we won't never wear those, those jackets again the card jackets because um, we want to time lock that period of time, and um, so now, if you see a photo of us wearing those jackets, you know exactly when that was formed. You know that that that's exactly uh, it, like it. It time locks it; nothing messes up with that. You're not going to see me at fifty years old wearing a Car- of patch and ru- ruining that <laughs> period of time. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, um, That that that's. I think that's a good spot to to leave it. Much in the same way, you wouldn't want to see. David Bowie at fifty, wearing Ziggy Startup makeup. You know, like it, that, that, that's the uh, that's this is the whole idea, isn't it? You know, so you've got to come out to these shows because it's going to be a spectacle, and you won't see that ever again because we'll have moved on by the next time something comes. You know, and um, there'll be something there'll, there'll be the next thing. So I don't know. That's kind of our mantra. It's it's trying to make sure we're creating something special each time around, and uh, and it's something that um, is like a once in a lifetime thing. Um, you can only see it this one time, and then it's gone um does that make sense
0: absolutely mate i 100 percent hear everything you've been saying and may i say that you are a a lovely man as well as a talented man will and any friend of jack's is a good friend of mine as well
1: Man, I lo- i'd love to enter you as well man thank you so much uh but doing it on release day as well. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's really cool, uh, isn't it?
0: I don't think I've ever done yeah. a podcast on release day before. And it gives it a nice <laughs> special lean because it's like you're obviously in the headspace of talking about it, but it's now out. So there's also that kind of element of I don't own this anymore. It's now public property. So here are my thoughts. But then, you know, this isn't verbatim. This isn't the whole truth, because now it's up to everybody else to make up their mind, isn't it? And what an exciting day and what a beautiful yeah. day as well get the swim shorts on mate <laughs> I, I,
1: I mean I'm going to have to it's absolutely roasting <laughs> it
0: it's fucking so hot I went for a walk earlier and I was just drenched by the time I got home I was like right I'm, d- I'm doing the interviewing shorts I went out in fucking trousers stupidly but never again listen mate I hope you have a great weekend and yeah uh, you too man see you soon dude bye 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 I've got a poisoned heart right fond Star, I have deceived
2: you, and you, stay away from me, Cougar kills and
1: dreams, I'll And true.